the Bible says uh, that God's thoughts and ways are higher than our thoughts and ways. In fact, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are God's thoughts and ways compared to our thoughts and ways. And that is certainly true as it relates to prayer. So often when we think about prayer, we think how could the God of the universe have time to care about my daily burdens? I mean, isn't he busy? (laughs) Doesn't he have a lot on his to-do list? Well, how does he have time to care about what's going on in my life? But that's our thoughts. It's not God's thoughts. God tells us in his word to cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. All our cares. All our burdens. Every one. Jesus said about his father that not a sparrow falls to the ground without his care. That the very number of hairs on our head are numbered. You see, the issue is not does God care enough? The issue is do you care enough? Do we care enough? Do we care enough and trust him enough and believe in him enough to bring our daily burdens before him and trust that he hears and he will answer us? In other words, are you persisting in prayer? Do we persist in prayer at Prairie Bible Church? That's what Jesus is challenging us with this morning. And the take-home message is this. It's very simple. Persist in prayer. Persist in prayer. That's Jesus' lesson for us this morning. And I want to look at three types of prayer that God blesses. If you pray these ways, God will bless your prayer life. And here is, here is way number one. God blesses bold prayer. God blesses bold prayer. So look at verses 5 through 8 with me. And Jesus said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And so what's going on here? Well, there's this person who has a friend arrive on a journey at a very inopportune hour. And this was an honor-shame culture, okay? And in that culture, it was a matter of honor for a host to be able to provide for their guest. And so this host has this guest arrive unexpectedly and he has nothing to set before him. So now he's in a dilemma. And so he goes in the middle of the night to his neighbor and knocks on his neighbor's door. I'm sure his neighbor was excited about that. And he says, "Uh, friend, give me three loaves of bread. Now this is a subsistence living culture. That means that most families uh, lived on the minimum amount of food to survive. Okay, so... He's not just asking for bread. He's asking for a lot of bread. Three loaves of bread. And in that time, uh, families would sleep in one large common sleeping area. Okay, so he's probably not even just waking up the neighbor. He's probably waking up the neighbor's whole family. And so you're starting to see how this might not go over well. And Jesus says, even if that neighbor would be inclined to say, hey, uh, you're waking me and my family up. I'm not going to give you what you need. 
It says because of the man's impudence, he will give him whatever he needs. So the key word here is impudence. What does that mean? Well, for you Bible nerds out there, this Greek word is what's called a hapax legomena. That means it occurs only once in the entire New Testament. So it's a very rare word. It's this word, anaidea. And it's two Greek words put together. One means without. The other one means a sense of shame. So it literally means without shame. Shameless. That's, that's what that word impudence is talking about. It's saying this person has gone with shameless boldness to his neighbor. And because of his shameless boldness, his neighbor will give him whatever he needs. It's that idea of, man, this guy has some nerve to go over there and ask for this, right? This got me thinking, you know, if, if my friend showed up to my house at midnight and asked me for food, they would no longer be my friend. <laughs> the friendship would be terminated, okay? That's where I'm drawing the boundary, okay? Don't come to my house at midnight and ask me for food, and I won't come to yours and ask you for food. In fact, the only person who would probably be your friend the next day is Jolene Bowman. She is the only person in the world who's hospitable enough to still be the friend the next day. Love you, Jolene. But in all seriousness, this is teaching us something really radical about God. It's like Jesus is saying, when you show up at God's house at midnight and ask for a lot, he will give you what you need, and then he'll say, hey, come back tomorrow at midnight, and the next night at midnight, and the next night at midnight, and I will always provide for your needs. Do we pray with that view of God in mind? A God who says, however, whenever, wherever, come to me and pray. Just pray. The worst thing you can do is not pray. One of the things that I believe holds us back from prayer, I've seen this in the church a lot, is we feel like we need to pray perfectly. It's really common for us to be afraid to pray, whether it's in public or even just in private, to bring things before God we need because we're thinking, he's so great, I'm so small. What if my prayer isn't, isn't good? But that's not how God thinks. When I was in, in Michigan leading a young adult small group, I had this, uh, this wonderful Christian young man named Dan. Dan was really soft-spoken, uh, and he worked on, on car mechanics, and he had a pretty stressful job. And he told me one small group night, he said that he just got so stressed out at work, he just couldn't take it anymore, and he didn't have any time to go find somewhere to pray. So he looked up to heaven, and he said, Dear God, blah. That was his prayer. And he said, you know what, Billy? I had a great rest of my day. And so, you know, small group leader Billy goes into, you know, overdrive. Hey, you know, Dan, you should have prayed like this or this. When I took a step back and said, actually, what Dan did is biblical. You know, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit can take our groanings without words and make them palatable to God. And God's answer to the Holy Spirit is always yes. And so that's all Dan had time to pray, blah, and God answered his prayer. And so I guess I would tell Dan, don't pray that way every time, <laughs> but if that's all you can pray, just pray. Because God hears even our groanings. The worst thing we can do is not pray at all. That's what the enemy wants to convince us of. But God says, come to me whenever, wherever, however, and I will provide for your keywords, needs. Not wants all the time, but needs. 
I think Hebrews 4.16 sums this up really well. Uh, Hebrews 4.16 says, therefore, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Doesn't that sum it up pretty well there? We ought to come to the Lord shamelessly bold, knowing that He can supply our every need. Because God blesses bold prayer. Here's prayer Type number two that God blesses. God blesses persistent prayer. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me. Jesus goes on to say this, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So these verbs, ask, seek, and knock, are the key to understanding these verses. And these verbs are called present active imperatives. And what that means is they're not just a one-time action. They're continual action. So you could translate that as keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. In other words, Jesus is saying be persistent in prayer. And you know, if God can always respond to us, I mean, if God has everything we need, why wouldn't it just say here, ask him once? Well, here, here's why. Because persistent prayer shows sincerity. Okay, a commitment to prayer shows that we really mean it. Think about your relationship with, with your kids. So let's say one of your kids came to you and said, Mom, Dad, I want to take piano lessons. Well, you'd probably say, they want to take piano lessons today. I'm not sure what they're going to want to do tomorrow. But then your kid comes back to you tomorrow at the same time in the same way and says, Mom, Dad, I want to take piano lessons. Well, then you're thinking, maybe they're actually serious about this. And then they come back to you the next day, same time, same way. Mom, Dad, I want to take piano lessons. And they keep on doing this. Eventually, you're going to be so exasperated that you'll put them in piano lessons. But that's not how we pray. So often we're like the kid who comes to their parents and says, Mom, Dad, I want piano lessons. And then we don't ask them about it again for a month. And then we come back and say, Mom, Dad, I want to be an astronaut. <laughs> it's like if you're the parent, you're like, okay, that's great, honey. Uh, you know, do you want to go to NASA first or take piano lessons first, right? I mean, that's how we pray sometimes. We're just throwing things at God with no commitment. And he wants to see our sincerity. I know we've got some fishermen in here. I see Francis right there. You know, if you were going fishing, you wouldn't just walk out, put no bait on your hook, throw it in the water one time, reel it in, and expect to catch a fish. If you were going hunting, you wouldn't just walk out the back of your house, shoot into the void, and expect to hit anything. But sometimes that's how we pray, you know what I mean? Instead, if you want to catch a fish, you strategically choose your bait. You choose your location. You go and you set up camp, even for hours, and you cast and cast and cast until you catch your fish. And that is how God wants you and I to pray. I know that everyone here knows what it means to truly be committed to something, to work for something. And so if we do that for other things in life, why don't we pray like that? That's what Jesus is saying. 
He's saying everyone who prays like that receives. He wants us to be persistent in prayer. It says this in Romans 8.32. I love this verse. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us what? All things. Everything you need. If only we will be persistent in prayer. God blesses bold prayer. God blesses persistent prayer. And here is the final type of prayer I want to talk about. God blesses expectant prayer. Look at verses 11 through 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus is asking rhetorical questions here, right? Because no parent who had a child ask for a fish would give them a snake, and no parent who had a child ask for an egg would give them a scorpion. And then Jesus makes this really interesting statement. He says, if you then who are evil, that is a very clear statement by Jesus that we are sinners in need of a Savior. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So Jesus is working from the lesser to the greater. Really to the greatest. To an immeasurably great gift. The Holy Spirit. We ought to ask Jesus more for the Holy Spirit, shouldn't we? As I was thinking about this idea of praying expectantly, praying with an expectation that God really hears and he really wants to answer us, uh, this, this memory from a very long time ago came back uh, to my mind. I grew up with this, I had this little devotional, it was called Streams in the Desert, my dad gave me. And it was a really encouraging little devotional and there was this one devotional, I remember it was on August 17th, uh, it was called An Audience with the King. And it was my favorite devotional of the year. And it was about this guy named George Mueller. George Mueller was this humble man from Bristol. He was from England and he did so much with his life. He raised over 10,000 orphans. He started 117 Christian schools that educated more than 120,000 people. Just one man. And he asked the question, how could one man do that? Well, one thing you'll learn about George Mueller is maybe more than anyone else, he prayed expectantly. He prayed expectantly. Rather than try to describe uh, this story about his life to you, I just want to wrap up by just reading this for you. This is what expectant prayer looks like. I went to America some years ago with the captain of a steamer who was a very devoted Christian. When off the coast of Newfoundland, he said to me, the last time I crossed here, five weeks ago, something happened which revolutionized the whole of my Christian life. We had a man named George Mueller of Bristol on board. I'd been on the bridge 24 hours and never left it. And George Mueller came to me and said, Captain, I've come to tell you that I must be in Quebec Saturday afternoon. It is impossible, I said. Very well, if your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. I have never broken an engagement. 
for 57 years. Let us go down into the chart room and pray. I looked at that man of God and thought to myself, what lunatic asylum can that man have come from? I've never heard of such a thing as this. Mr. Mueller, I said, do you know how dense this fog is? No, Mueller replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. Mueller knelt down and prayed one of the most simple prayers. And when he had finished, I was going to pray, but Mueller put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. First, you do not believe he will answer. And second, I believe he has. And there is no need, whatever, for you to pray about it. I looked at him and he said, Captain, I've known my Lord for 57 years and there has never been a single day that I have failed to get an audience with the king. Get up, Captain, and open the door and you will find the fog gone. I got up and the fog was indeed gone. And on Saturday afternoon, George Mueller was in Quebec for his engagement. Do we pray like George Mueller? Do we pray like that? Do we as a church pray like that? I certainly fall short of that. But it's my hope and expectation when we go out of here that we will begin to pray like that because we serve a God who wants us to and will answer our every need. Now we're going to turn our attention to communion. And I like to say there, there's three things about communion. The first one is that communion is an invitation. Communion commemorates the Lord's Supper, you know, just before Jesus went to the cross. And something that has encouraged me about communion is that uh, Jesus' disciples all failed him. <laughs> and he still gave them communion. So Peter denied him three times and Jesus still gave him communion right before he did that. And then the other ten scattered from him, yet Jesus still gave them communion. And so even though you and I are broken sinners, if we belong to Jesus, Jesus says, come to the table. And if you don't know Jesus, now is the time to turn to him. We turn to him through the gospel. That historical reality that 2,000 years ago, this Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, he lived a perfect and sinless life. And then he went to the cross and died. But because he was perfect and sinless, death could not hold him down. On the third day, he rose again. He appeared to his followers and he ascended to heaven where he's seated at the right hand of God. And someday he's coming back. And why did he die on that cross? Well, he didn't die for anything he'd done. He died for what we had done. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if you will turn to him in repentance and faith this morning, repentance means to turn from your sin. Faith means to place your faith in his finished work, not yours, his. If you will do that, the glorious exchange happens where your sin is reckoned to his account on that cross, dealt with forever, and his righteousness is reckoned to your account so you too can come boldly to the throne of grace. If you've never made that decision, all you need to do this morning is say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe you died on that cross for my sins and rose again. And I believe you're Lord. I give you my life. 
And then come and partake of the feast with us.